Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. So Barry taught a couple weeks ago, uh, for two weeks in a row, on corporate prayer. He looked at the prayer meetings in the book of Acts. He highlighted four of them. Uh, really powerful teaching. Um, as I've been praying and just asking the Lord, what did he want me to, to speak into? Um, I feel like he wanted me to uh, look at the words of Jesus. What does Jesus have to say about prayer? Right, so Barry looked at the book of Acts and the corporate prayer meetings. Well, I'm going to rewind us back just a little bit in the Gospels, and we're going to look at what does Jesus, what are his thoughts about prayer? What does he have to say? And so he comes on the scene, the Word made flesh, and he has some interesting encounters with the people of prayer. And so on your handout, on one side you see The title of this message, Purifying Prayer. There's four false identities that Jesus confronts when it comes to prayer. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you, you and I, we we wear these false identities even today. But that's why Jesus is going to help purify our prayer lives. Okay, we're going to remove false identities in the place of prayer. And then on the back side of that sheet, I don't know if we'll get to this part today, But there are five guiding principles. There are some themes that Jesus talks about more than once in the place of prayer. If you're taking notes on those, I want to give you the the verses for the five guiding principles. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but I want to give you the verses. Maybe this can be some homework, and then maybe next week or the week after I can can teach the rest of it. Um, Number one, John. write down John 14, verse 13 through 14. I'm giving you homework. Who likes homework in the church? Number two, have, I was about to give the answer. Mark 11, verse 23 through 24. Number three, Mark 11, verse 25 through 26. Number four, Luke 11, verse 5 through 10. And number five, Luke 11, verse 13. Hopefully you got those. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry. Okay, so number one, John 14, 13 to 14. Number two, Mark 11, 23 through 24. Number three, Mark 11, 25 through 26. Number four, Luke 11, verse 5 through 10. And number five, Luke 13. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for coming in close and deep. I got an illustration with me as well, so I will need four volunteers, so get ready. I see Jason smiling back there. Jason, is that you? You So as I said, Jesus, 
he exposes four false identities when it comes to the prayer movement in the first century. Matthew 6, looking at verse 5. I need volunteer number one, whomever, come on down. Matt, you had your hand raised up, come on down. Let's look at verse, verse 5. Jesus says this, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. All right. The first false identity that we wear in prayer is the reputation seeker, right? The reason you and I pray is because we want to build up our reputation as a spiritual person. I, want, I need you to see me as spiritual, therefore I pray. I go to the prayer meetings and I just don't pray I have to be seen by you. I make sure you notice me when I pray. I might be super loud. I might start crying and weeping. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure I'm noticed that I'm in the prayer meeting. Look what Jesus says. He says, for they love to pray. Oh, praise God, they love to pray. Wait, wait, wait. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. And what's their driving ambition? That they may be seen by men. I wrote down a couple of characteristics of these people. So they love their reputation as a person of prayer. They love to outshine others in the prayer room. The more you applaud them, the better they pray. A successful prayer is determined by how many amens they get after they've prayed. They are motivated to attend prayer meetings because it's an opportunity to build up their spiritual reputation. But here's the sad part. They have a good reputation with men, but not with God. Everyone seems to know you as a person of prayer, but yet God doesn't know you as a person of prayer. Why? Because you don't have a secret place time with God. I pray better around all of you, but when I go home and pray, I can't really pray. I feel discouraged, I just feel lost and don't know what to say, but for some reason, I do better when I have people's eyes on me. So this person who is seeking to build up their reputation in the place of prayer, they're an imposter. Jesus tells us, when you pray, he says this, verse five, you shall not be like the hypocrites. In other words, he says, don't worry about your reputation when you come to the corporate prayer meetings. Who cares? Who cares? No one cares if you stumble over your words when you're praying. No one cares if you can't really pray, quote, good. 
No one cares, but we seem to care. Anyone? Is this speaking to anyone? We got four of them, so one, one of the four is going to probably get you. If I'm, if I'm being honest with you, can I be honest with you? Are you sure? This is probably the one I struggle with the most. And if you're looking down on me, that's okay because you're about to get caught out here in a second too. (laughs) Right? Playing basketball my whole life, I had to perform. If I didn't play good, I would sit on the bench. And everyone would see, oh, coach pulled out Brandon. He's not making any shots. He's He's not doing well today. Well, I'm still trying to overcome that. I don't need to care what you think about me praying out loud. So we have the reputation seeker. Their prayer lives bear little fruit, but their reputation bears a lot of fruit. God doesn't want that for you. Don't be like that person. The next one, let's keep reading. Go down to verse, well, let's read verse, I love verse six. He's like, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. If you find yourself a reputation seeker, get a revelation of the secret place. Jesus tells you and I, where the Father is and where he sees. Therefore, I don't need you to see me. The Father sees me. I'm good with that. I'm banking in on that. And verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. I need volunteer number two. Come on down. Come on, Sam. Okay, this one. Oh, wait. Come on. Yeah. This one we're going to call the babbler. Now, don't look around at anyone because you probably have someone in mind whom you know when you pray with them, they start babbling. Jesus tells us don't use vain repetitions. As the heathens do. In other words, don't babble on and 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 on. Some of you do this. And on and on. In the Greek, vain repetition is one word in the Greek, and it means to speak foolishly, to babble or chatter. Someone who talks much without content Meaningless and mechanically repeated phrases, useless speaking without distinct expression of purpose. In other words, they say a whole lot to say very little. If you're in a prayer meeting with someone who's a babbler, whenever they pray, you're thinking, oh goodness, here we go. It turns in from, we were praying in the spirit, now we are in a conversation. And they're just talking, it's a monologue with God where they just talk to God and everyone has to sit and watch and hear and listen to it. Jesus says, don't do that. Why does he say don't do that? Because behind the babbler is this unbelief that God, he won't hear me unless I talk for a lot or really loud 
maybe I'll get his attention after that. This person doesn't believe God really sees them and hears them. They have a need to be heard and don't realize that God already hears them, even if they don't say it out loud. You don't have to talk in prayer. Right? Man looks at the outward appearance, but God. So we have the babbler. A couple other characteristics of a babbler. You give them 30 seconds to pray, they take 30 minutes. They, they value the quantity of prayer more than the quality of their prayer. They can't stay on topic. In fact, you probably don't know what the topic is. Here's what Ecclesiastes 5 says. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to draw near in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do. For they do ignorantly. It says, do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make speech before God. God is in heaven. You are on the earth. So let your words be few. So in other words, I might be worn out and tired by you babbling in the place of prayer, but can I tell you, God is worn out too. You don't have to use that many words. Say what you need to say, pray what you need to pray. Now there's a difference between, say you're praying Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 over your life, a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God, like you're praying it over yourself because you're asking God to help you and your heart's engaged with him. This person here, the babbler, their heart's not engaged with God. They're just, the heart's cut off, but the head is just talking. And you'll realize the the prayer was like you were all in the spirit together and all of a sudden it's like the spirit kind of left the room. Don't look around, don't look at anyone, don't... Don't call anyone out. Everyone, you should know if that's you or not. Okay. The third person. Let's go over to Luke 18. You guys doing all right standing up here? No, you're good. Let's go to Luke 18. Verse 9. Jesus is about to tell a parable. And he says, And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
I tell you this, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Who's my third volunteer? Haley. The next person we call the righteous one. Notice in this parable, in verse 12, the Pharisee, he says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. In other words, because of his own self-righteousness, he can draw near to God. God hears his prayers because of his self-righteousness, how good he is. I fasted this week. I prayed this week. I read my Bible this week. I gave my tithe this week. I'm pretty good. I shared the gospel this week. Therefore, God hears my prayers more than others because I'm more righteous than them. Characteristics of this kind of person. There's a lot of I stories and not God stories. They use the word I a lot. I was, I was doing this for God. I did this and I did that. Me, me, me. I, I, I. They love mentioning all the sacrifices they make for God. They feel entitled to special privileges, special attention because of all the sacrifices they've made. They feel they deserve to be seen, to be heard, to be known. They usually make you feel less holier than them because they're always with God. They're so close to him, you not so much. But here's the downfall. When they have a rough week spiritually, maybe they didn't pray or fast or read their word, they struggle severely. They don't fear near, near to God. They feel like God has rejected them. Their spiritual life is like a roller coaster. When they do things right, they feel great. They do a couple things wrong, they feel horrible. God deeply despises them. They're on the religious performance for God. Hebrews 10, before I read that, one of the things they, they do is that they believe their nearness to God is because of their works and not because of the blood of Jesus. Your nearness to God is not based on your performance. Your nearness to God is based upon the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near. Drawing near to God is not about self-righteousness. Drawing near to God is only and will forever be about the blood of Christ. Anytime you think you can draw close to God because you are so great and because you've had a really good week, you're wrong. And anytime you think you can't draw near to God because you had a bad week and you sinned and you need to stay away, you're wrong. It blew my mind when I realized whenever I sinned, I can still approach God. I felt my, I, my belief system was that my sin kept me so far away from God that I got to wait for him to come find me. 
But something shifted in my life when I, when I sin, I would go to him and say, Lord, I come before you not on my own merit, but on the merit of Christ. And I would experience his forgiveness, his washing over me, and I would realize like nearness had nothing to do with my own righteousness. The fourth one, what else does this Pharisee say in prayer? Look at verse 11. As my fourth volunteer comes down, who is it going to be? Here we go. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. So the fourth person, we call this one the elitist. There you are, right there. You want to hold it high for a second? They can see the, hold on like this. Boom. And then right back down. See it? Now you don't. Look quickly. The elitist. This person is great at everything. This person is the best prayer person in the church. They know it, and so does everyone else. Here's the, think about this. This man literally says in his prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. In other words, this person is a superhuman. They got superpowers. They're the hero in every story. They'll tell you all their prayer stories, and they're the hero in every single one. God is maybe the hero like one time, but they're actually the the hero. Could you imagine yourself praying and thanking God that you're not like other men? But this is what the elitist does. So a couple of characteristics. They build themselves up by putting others down and sharing all of their accomplishments. They are the hero to every story. They love titles and being the center of attention. If you don't follow them, you'll miss out on God's will. They're always teaching, but rarely teachable. They make you feel like you need them. Unfortunately, these kind of people in the charismatic world, we usually give them all of our money because we want them to do what we don't want to do. And they're so good and so gifted and so great, like God, God needs them on his side. Like God is struggling to like... If you watch the news, God is struggling. But praise God, we got some of these in the church. They're going to save the day. You always feel inferior to these kind of people. The sad part about them is that they're blind to their own weakness, they're blind to their own struggles. It's almost like they never have a bad day. Every day, all the time, in the spirit, 100% of the time. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. In 2 Corinthians, he says, 
Outside of me were conflict, inside were fears. Paul the Apostle confessing his weaknesses, his struggles. But the elitist person doesn't do that. They don't have struggles. They don't have weaknesses. Okay, which one are you? God is going to purify our prayer lives this morning. Lord, purify our prayer lives. Purify our motives. Purify all the ambitions that we have when it comes to prayer. Lord, if we are a reputation seeker, if we are a babbler, if we are a self-righteous one, if we are the elitist, purify our prayer lives. Okay, you guys can drop those on the floor. Let's give it up for our helpers this morning. You guys did great. So here's the, here's the final indictment about these four false identities that we find ourselves in at times in the place of prayer and that Jesus tells us not to do. Here it is. They all have a heart that is disconnected from God. To put it very simply, when you find yourself operating in one of these things, your heart has become disconnected from God. And prayer has no longer become about seeking the Lord. It's become about other things. Your reputation, what you want to say, fill in the blank. It's become about things that don't really matter. And God is calling us as a community back to the place of prayer. And he wants us to show up with our hearts. We need our hearts in the prayer room. You need your heart with you in corporate prayer meetings. We don't need your knowledge. We don't need your history. We don't need all the accolades. We don't need any of that stuff. We need your heart when we gather to pray. God can do more with one single heart than he can with 20,000 brains. You don't believe me? Jesus says this in Matthew 15. He says, these people, they draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. But what? But their hearts are far from me. In other words, prayer doesn't even matter. If your heart's not in the room, it don't matter what you say. If your heart's not engaged, it doesn't do anything. You can say all the right things. Quote the scriptures. Jesus told the Pharisees, he's like, you know the scripture. You've searched them. Yet your issue is you refuse to come to me. It's John 5. So we can, we can show up to all the prayer meetings. You can show up in your secret place faithfully. And the whole time your heart has been disconnected from God. You left your heart in the other room.
This is why I think for some of us, we don't like prayer. Prayer has become the place where we've gotten so used to being fake, phony, plastic, surface level. And then you have this born again spirit in you that's crying out for you to actually be real about something. That wants you to cry out and seek the Lord. So you're in conflict. Do I show up in the secret place or to the corporate prayer meeting, fake, phony, surface level, plasticky? Hey guys, great. Or do I come with my born again spirit? I need to cry out to God and seek him and find him. God, my heart needs to connect with you. We can't be afraid of messy prayer meetings. In fact, if your prayer life is not messy, you're probably not really praying. If it's so nice and neat and just picture perfect and in order, please tell me because I need help. I ain't going to lie to you. My prayer life is messy. I'm not talking about unfaithfulness in the place of prayer where I never pray. I'm talking about when I get in there and start praying. There's sometimes I don't know what to pray. Romans 8, we don't know what to pray. You know what's interesting about that verse? When Paul wrote Romans, he had been walking with the Lord for 20 years. And here's his conclusion about prayer. The Holy Spirit helps, helps me in my weaknesses, guys. But let me tell you, I don't know how to pray to, and I ought to know how. I still don't know. 20 years walking with the Lord, that's his conclusion about prayer. You need the Holy Spirit to help. That's it. But we wait until it's perfect and we want to say it right. We want to. We get stuck. We get religious in prayer. But God is saying to us, it's time for our prayer meetings, for your personal prayer meeting with him to start getting messy again. Now, I'm not saying air all your dirty laundry and take over the prayer meeting corporately. Don't, don't remember, we're not babbling here about. But there's something about us entering in with all of our heart. That's what he wants. I feel like the Lord wants us to be free again in prayer. We need to experience a measure of freedom that we have a Father in heaven, and when we pray, he hears. He doesn't need full, completed sentences and perfectly said phrases. I was uh, reading through this book given by a friend, a brother named Tanner Olson. It's a book on poems and prayers. And I read this, and when I read it, it struck me how how I was doing these things. I was wearing a false identity in prayer. Here's what he says. He says, I used to think God only heard our prayers if our hands were folded, head bowed, and eyes closed. 
Sometimes I fold my hands while I pray. Sometimes I bow my head. But I have a hard time keeping my eyes closed. Praying is less like math and science and more like art, like poetry. God isn't grading us or checking our work. He isn't looking for missed, he isn't looking for mistakes or skipped steps. He's listening. He's taking in what we say. He's admiring. God isn't grading us or checking our work. He isn't looking for mistakes or skipped steps. He's listening. He's taking in what we say. He's admiring. I read that and I realized how I was caught in this form of prayer. And I forgot. I forgot how vulnerable prayer is meant to be. Prayer is supposed to be the most vulnerable, raw, authentic place for you and I. When we go to our secret place, that's the one place where we don't have to wear any mask. Like when I go to my secret place, I'm not coming in as, hey, Father, here's Elder Brandon again, just coming before you. I'm not, even, I'm not coming as dad or husband, such a great friend. I'm not doing that. I'm coming in as, Lord, it's me. You know who it is, Lord. <laughs> Lord, you know what it is. It's me. But we do that. I mean, how fake have we been in the place of prayer before God? It's time to get messy again. I want to look at two, two quick examples of people who are they're just honest and real about prayer. First one is David. Go to Psalm 13. You look at David's prayer, you look in all the Psalms. This guy looks, he sounds like a maniac. Then he sounds awesome and amazing. It's like, which one is he? Is he crazy or is he an awesome? He's both. Psalm 13, verse one, he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Let's think about that. He's literally saying, God, you have forgotten me, not just for a couple of days, forever. <laughs> David, he was in deep despair. This sounds like depression. This sounds like he might be leap off into suicidal thoughts. Lord, how you forgot me. Everyone else has. Next verse, how long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel or shall I, the, the word there is actually, a better translation would be worry or wrestle in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? David didn't go into the place of prayer with this plastic smile on his face. He came in there with his heart wide open. Verse three, consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. 
Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. So he confesses his heart to the Lord. He opens up. He gets vulnerable. He gets messy. And then verse 5. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. There's that wrestle of like, God, where are you? What, I don't know what you're doing, what you're saying. But God, you're with me. I know you. I'm holding on to your word. Go to Psalm 109. Psalm 109 is probably one of the most scary psalms in all of them. If I hear you praying this psalm to yourself, I may have to call the authorities. You're going to see why. So David is struggling yet again. In the first verses one through five, he's, he's crying out to God. He says, do not keep silent, O God, of my praise, for the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful have opened against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and have fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Another translation says, I am prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. So David is expressing, he's been betrayed. He's felt betrayal. I've loved them. They've hated me. This is where it gets crazy. Look at what he prays to the God in heaven to do to his enemies. So God, set a wicked man over him and let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is judged, let him be found guilty. And let this prayer, let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few. And let another take his office. Let his children be fatherless. And his wife a widow. Let his children continually be vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also from their desolate places. Let the creditors seize all that he has. Let strangers plunder his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him, nor let there be any favor to his, to his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off, and in, gen, in, in the generation following, let their name be blotted out. Bro, I'm saying, if I heard you praying that, Let's keep reading. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. Let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them continually be before the Lord, that he may cut off the memory, that he may be cut off from the memory of the earth. Because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy men. David is not playing. But you know, what do you think God's response is to David in this prayer? Think about that. David's praying for God to wipe this man out, to make him fatherless, take away his children, cut off his generations, do away with him. Don't show any mercy to this man. And if you finish the rest of the verse, he goes on and saying, Lord, be merciful to me. But what do you think God's response is to David? 
for us, if I'm sitting with Joe and Joe begins to pray that, I'm going to be like, Joe, who are you talking about? Are you talking about me? Like, okay, let's go to the counselor. Let's, you need help. Whew. Joe needs help. <laughs> Steph, is he, he praying that stuff? I hope not. We get worried when, when, when prayer like that. Someone prays like that. We're, we're like stressing out. Oh, gosh. But you know, you know what I think? I think God actually appreciates what David is praying. You know why? Because at least he's being honest. Here, you and I, we're so fake and phony and plastic yet again. Oh, I just love someone. It really, you actually don't like them at all. For those of us who are married, we pray, God, just like help us in our marriage. Versus, Father, my heart is growing cold towards my spouse. Lord, I don't want to tell you that, but it's true. Which prayer do you think God wants to hear you say? He wants the honest, vulnerable, messy, ugly, boo-hoo, tear. He wants that. He doesn't want this theological prayer that has all the T's crossed and I's dotted, got the period, the comma, semicolon. He doesn't want that. Once again, Jesus came to deliver us from these false identities in the place of prayer. Real quick, next example. Turn with me to John 11. This is the story of Lazarus, right? Jesus, he's in another town. He catches word, Lazarus has died. Come back, Lord. We need your help. So he begins to travel that way after he delays a little bit. Martha catches word. Martha runs out to him. And here's what I want you to notice. We're going to look at what Martha says versus what Mary says. Verse 20, John 11, verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now, key in on verse 21. Just remember what verse 21 says here. Now, Martha said to Jesus, notice what she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, check. Appreciate that, Martha. Good. Keep reading. But even now, I know. Remember that phrase, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe or I know that you are the Christ, the son of the, God, the, son of the living God who has come into the world. Go over to verse 39. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to go remove the tomb, 
raise him up. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? But wait, Martha knew. You ever been with someone where like you tell them something they've never heard before and they're like, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. This is Martha. Martha, I know, I know, Lord. Jesus, I know. You're the resurrection. I know, I know, I know. So she puts up this plastic fake facade. I know, I know, I know. And she gets, the response she gets from Jesus is a little bit theological in a sense. Okay, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll be raised to life. Go to verse 32. Let's see what kind of response Mary gets. It says, Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, All right, before I read this, remember what I told you to remember in verse 21. What did Martha say? Look back. Look at verse 21. Martha said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Let's see what Mary says. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. They literally say the same thing, but for some reason, they get a different response. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, Jesus wept. What was so different about what Martha said versus what Mary said? Nothing. They said the same thing. But why did Martha get caught up in a conversation and it seems like Mary got caught up in something different? What Martha really wanted to say was, Jesus, is your fault. She didn't say it, though. Oh, Lord, if you'd have been here, it would have been well. Really, she wanted to say, Jesus, it's your fault. You got so much power and authority. Why didn't you do, like, what the heck? But no, she was fake. She was plasticky. Then you have Mary. What she said was truly in her heart. And it's the honest, vulnerable prayer that releases the resurrection power of Christ in your life. That's what changed the whole situation was when someone like a Mary, whose heart was engaged and connected with God, when she began to talk, there was something different. And God could not help but come down and do something. What if we get into a prayer meeting tonight, every heart is engaged. We leave all the fake at home, actually just throw it away instead. And we get into a place where we're all honest, authentic, vulnerable, deep and real as we can be in the word as we're praying and God says, I'm coming now. My people are finally being real. They're being honest with me. This is a 
prayer journal. But Jaden, you want to come on up, man, and start playing? It's a prayer journal of mine. Two thousand nine. What's that? Fourteen years ago. My handwriting was ugly, scratchy looking, looked like chicken scratches. Looking rough. Yeah, I'm gonna read this. So looking over the years of my prayer life with God and what has brought the most change in me have been the times I have been completely honest with God. If you're looking for change in your life, if you're looking for transformation, it only comes through brutal honesty. I wrote this in 2009. Three three years old in the Lord. When I wrote this, I was living in sexual sin. I was struggling. I couldn't get out of it. I was straight in bondage. And here's what I said. This is uh, March 16, 2009. I said, Jesus Christ, I ask you not to let go of me. Help me to hold on to you. Don't allow me to lose the life you have given me. You know all, so do what you have to do. I need it. I will allow it. Be with me, Jesus. I love you. Amen. The very next day, March 17th, 2009, I said, Dear Lord, here I go again, doing the same thing I wasn't supposed to be doing. Jesus, when are you going to change me? Because I feel I'm not strong enough to do this on my own. Please do it. Take the evil away from me. I don't need it. I don't want it. I thank you for the things you have done. In Jesus' name I pray. I look back and I'm thankful that I was messy with God. I was, I look back on that time, I'm like, I did the best that I could. I didn't know what to do, how to do it. But there's something that's so beautiful about that with God. And as a church, we can't lose that. We can't get so polished and perfect and our meetings are just so in order and everything's so great. I want to call Messy back to the prayer room. Messy corporate meetings, 
messy house meetings, messy lunch meetings, messy breakfast meetings. I wanna live in that tension of my mess is on the table, it's out there. But also what's on the table is the word of God and I'm holding onto it and I'm reaching for it. And I wanna see his kingdom come, his will be, I'm not seeing it all now, but I'm reaching for it. And there's that messy in between where like, is it here, is it not? I don't know, it's gray and that's okay. I look at our family. This, this person in me right here. I look at my life and I'm like, I'm not who I want to be yet. God, you can't use me. I haven't arrived yet. But you know what? He doesn't care. He doesn't care about my reputation. He just wants my heart. my heart. He wants me in the secret place. He wants me in these gatherings. He wants my heart. That's what he wants. Can he have yours back? I want to give us an opportunity to respond to the Lord. If you feel like I've done my altar work this week, guys, preparing this message. I'm like, Lord, I see myself in all of these. But if you feel like you need to get back to real prayer, honest prayer, vulnerable prayer with God, I want you to come forward. And Jaden's going to play. And we're just going to spend some time getting back to the place of what prayer what prayer is truly about a heart after God a heart that belongs to him Father I pray I pray that our hearts Lord would be open be vulnerable, would be messy with you. Father, I pray we would cry out, Lord, and there would be a deep transformation in us. God, would you change us? Would you teach us to pray? Would you teach us, Lord? to be fake not to wear these false identities but to come before you bare and open that you would move and you would have your way in us
We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.